Hello, everyone. Um, let's see, good afternoon and also good evening for those of you in Europe and good morning, perhaps, for those of you all the way around the world, uh, wherever, wherever you may be. Um, it's, it's always a pleasure for me to be able to do, uh, to sub for An Andrew on these. And uh, um, thank you so much for, for uh, participating. Uh, what I'd like to do today, as usual, is some uh, mindfulness and calming and, and, and also some uh, Maitri and compassion practice. And then we'll get the discussion and have some notes from conversation with, with Andrew to, uh, so while we're doing this, if the thoughts, if thoughts do come up, you can direct them towards um, what your experience has been since the last hangout of uh, practicing basic goodness. Uh, that's what, what Andrew was interested in exploring and was going to, if he was going to lead the session. Uh, we'll try to, I'll try to remember to also do some pausing during, during the session where we actually just stop and uh, like I talked about, I've talked about before, stop, drop and breathe uh, and take a few moments just to settle and then restart. So let's begin by taking our usual good posture. <clears throat> and what I recommend for uh, for this is if you're if you're in a chair with a back rather than leaning back against it, which can make you drowsy and uh, maybe a little too relaxed, just to slide your butt back uh, until you hit the bottom back bottom of the back of the chair and and brace against that, and then lean sit up and lean forward, and and if you don't know if you're sitting up straight, there's a simple thing that you can do which is just slightly tilt back and forth from left to right until you feel the middle. Now you can't describe what middle is. All you can say is that you know it's not leaning left and not leaning right. And the same thing with forward and back. You can feel if you're leaning forward or back, the one thing you can't feel is being centered. So <clears throat> let's start with that. In good posture and I like to uh, have you let your arms hang to your sides, leave your elbows where they are and swivel your hands uh, up to palm down on top of each thigh behind your knees or palms up cross uh, one on top of the other um, in your lap, gently touching below your navel and your, your thumbs just slightly, lightly touching together. And feet flat on the floor unless your legs are long like mine. So I just uh, cross them loosely in front of me, uh, right about at the ankles. <clears throat> Let your eyes gently close. And you can, you can feel like your, the back of your neck extends and gets a little longer, uh, that your chin comes in a little bit. Do, don't force anything. You wanna be sitting upright, but not <clears throat> not stiff and not forced. And feel like your spine is a tent pole. And let the rest of your body hang from that tent pole, like a, the canvas hanging from a tent pole before it's pulled out into a tent. 
Feel your breathing. Feel the breath come in and go out. Feel your weight in the seat that you're sitting on. Just the general feeling of being embodied. Not in your head, thinking about your body, but really feeling all the parts of your body. Feel your feet, your legs, your hips and pelvis, your torso, your arms, your neck, your head. Just feel all that embody. Let your consciousness be embodied. And just to remove any excess tension, just scan from the top of your head, down forehead, <clears throat> back of your head, eyes, cheeks, ears, your jaw. Sometimes you hold more tension there than we realize. Just let it soften. It's okay if your lips part a little bit. You're mainly breathing in and out through your nose. And if it helps, you can clench your jaw and your face muscles for two or three seconds and then just let it drop, let the tension drop. Neck, shoulders, out to the points of your shoulders, over and back at your collarbone and shoulder blades. If you feel tension that doesn't want to just let go, again, you don't have to do this, but if it's helpful, tense your neck and shoulders and just hold them for a couple of seconds and then drop. Don't force them down, just let them drop. Upper arms, chest, and upper back, rib cage all around, solar plexus, lower back, and deep belly. Just scan and let your awareness melt whatever tension you find there. Again, any tension that you find that doesn't want to just release naturally, you can clench and intensify for two or three seconds and then just let go. Hips and pelvis, forearms, hands, thighs, hamstrings, knees, calves, ankles, and feet. Take a nice full breath in and from the top of your head, just as you breathe out, just let all the tension be swept away. Let your awareness drop. We usually think of it as in our heads and behind our foreheads, but let your awareness fall back, fall back in your head and down the back of your throat. Gently settling down behind your throat, behind your chest. Like a leaf settling to the bottom of a pond. Behind your solar plexus, behind your stomach and down past your navel, just in front of your spine and the deep core of your torso. You can feel it moving gently as the breath goes in and out, like the gentle currents at the bottom of that pond. 
and it's quiet down there. Let your awareness just rest there. You feel that without, with, with each out-breath, you get heavier and sink down. Sinking down, really sink into the cushion you're sitting on or the chair. Imagine that you sink down through it, through the floor, right to the earth. And that you sink in and your lower body merges with the earth. That's as grounded as you can be. Your upper body extends upward, so it's like part of the earth extending upward like a mountain. And now let go of control of your breathing. Be an observer rather than a director. Just notice the breath coming in and out, coming and going like the wind. Let your mind relax and be open. What the Zen tradition calls a just don't know mind of openness to whatever you're going to experience. Like the sky that covers, overlooks the earth without bias or partiality. Body like a mountain, breath like the wind, mind like the sky. With your eyes gently open, you only need to open them about halfway. You look down under the eyelids at about a 45 degree angle in front of you. Whatever your eyes meet, you don't need to hold tightly on that spot. Soften your gaze, relax your gaze a little bit and open up to more peripheral vision so that you're looking in one direction, but you're aware of the space that you're sitting in. Out a few feet in front of you, around to the sides, aware of your body sitting in that space. Notice the feeling of the breath coming and going, filling you. The, the internal sensation of filling as the breath comes in, emptying as the breath goes out. And if your mind wanders into a daydream, when you realize it, <clears throat> you've already woken up like waking up from a, a dream that wasn't lucid. And you realize, oh, that was daydreaming. And smile to yourself, because that's what mind does, it wanders. And just return to your posture and the sensation of filling and emptying that happens as the breath goes in and out. We'll do that for a minute or so.
Now open your eyes fully, look straight ahead. And again, soften your gaze. <clears throat> open up to your peripheral vision. Just let your awareness, instead of being centralized in your body, open up to the environment. Notice in your whole field of vision, all the colors, shapes, and shades of light and dark. You can gently label them if you choose to, but no need to comment on them. Without moving your eyes, your awareness can explore that field of vision. Leaving your eyes open and looking straight ahead, listen for sounds. Near and far, high and low, loud and soft. Open up your ear hearing in all directions. As far and listen for sounds as far away as you can hear. Again, keeping your eyes open. Notice any smells that are there in the room. It's going to be more subtle, probably, than what you're seeing or hearing, but tune into your smell sensation, olfactory sensation. We haven't been eating anything, so we probably won't taste much, but you can check. Notice any tastes. And then bodily sensations. Again, leaving your eyes open. Feel the pressure sitting on your sit bones on the seat you're on, the cloth or skin that your hands are touching. How your body moves as you breathe. The cool, dry air as you breathe in through your nostrils. The feeling of warm and moist as the air goes out. See if you can feel your heart beating in your chest or as the pulse in your neck, wrists, or fingertips. And open your mind up to look for whatever thoughts appear. This is an entree into the reverse meditation where you watch for your thoughts. Notice them arise, dwell for a moment, and disappear. Then the next one arising. It gives you space, a relationship with your thoughts. You have thoughts, but you are not your thoughts.
And for the next minute or two, just let your mind wander, but wander in the present moment from perception to perception, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and perception of thoughts. Just letting your mind move from sense perception to sense perception because they're all happening in the here and now. So that was grounding, close placement, and environmental awareness. Now we're going to switch to Maitri and compassion meditation. We start with ourselves, and this is the um, Mahayana practice of Tonglen, sending and taking. Begin with yourself and, and just reflect on and feel, both think about and feel any negativity you're experiencing that you don't want to feel. I know a few weeks ago, Andrew and I talked about it as complaint meditation. Meditate on what it is that you don't like to feel or don't like as a feeling about yourself, negativity toward yourself. And wherever you have that in your being, your body, your mind, be aware of that. And now imagine a clear crystal made of light, any shape that you'd like, in your heart center. That's in the center of your chest at heart level. And it has transformative power that anything negative that is absorbed into the crystal transforms instantly and radiates out as the cool moonlight of kindness and replaces the negative with positive experience. So as you breathe in, imagine that you're gathering all that negativity from all parts of your being body and mind, into the crystal in your heart center. It magically transforms and as you breathe out, it radiates the cool moonlight of kindness that fills your being with positive feelings and relief from suffering. Breathe the struggle and suffering in it transforms 
radiate out and fill your being with kindness and freedom from suffering. Do that for a few breaths. You can do this with your eyes open or closed, whichever you prefer. Gathering in the negativity, it transforms and radiate out. Fill your being with that cool moonlight of kindness and relief from suffering. Now think of loved ones. And especially in this time of, of so much illness, think of loved ones that are suffering, physical suffering or emotional suffering. And as you breathe in, gather that from all your friends and family. Take all of their suffering and struggle into the crystal in your heart heart center, it transforms and radiate out to all of them that cool moonlight of kindness that fills them all with happiness and peace, freedom from suffering and freedom from struggle, freedom from illness. Breathe in any unhealthiness they're experiencing into your, the crystal in your heart and radiate out healthiness to all of them. And extend that out to everyone you know, and as far as you can to all beings, as much as you're capable of, nothing lands on you, it's all transformed in the crystal in your heart center. Gather it all in, the crystal and radiate out the cool moonlight of kindness, filling all beings with peace and happiness and healthiness. Gather in struggle and illness, radiate out peace, happiness and healthiness. Do that for two or three more breaths. And then let go of the visualization and take a few breaths just of being back, feeling your body, feeling the breath, feeling your environment. Good. Well, thank you for participating in that. Um, it's interesting, Andrew and I were talking also about the theme of light and his uh, Dreams of Light, the, the new book. Um, and this quality of the cool moonlight 
And it's a metaphor for bodhicitta or awakened heart that has the qualities of um, insight, compassion, and openness. Those three qualities. And, and they're represented as moonlight, which illuminates with a certain coolness. Um, so let, Andy, let's open it up for discussion. And um, rather than just questions, if people have comments on their experience this past week in working with basic goodness, it's such an inter interesting concept, basic goodness. Uh, I see Rebecca has a hand raised. So why don't we give the audio to Rebecca first? Sounds good. Hi, Rebecca. Is she there? We could hear you if you feel like speaking. Okay, well, it doesn't seem like anything from Rebecca right now. Okay. And maybe we'll try again and I'll chat. Okay. Okay, well, Donna has. Sorry, go ahead, Joe. This happens sometimes when we do the practice, everybody's quiet and the thoughts have subsided and they say, now what was I going to ask about? Okay, I see Rana. Yeah, Rana. So let me give the audio to Rana next. Hello and thank you very much. Hi, Rana. Hi. I've heard Recently, Ani Pema, she gave a talk about bodhicitta mm -hmm. and she quoted something from Pergam Trompa that was really, yeah, it touched my heart. And she was talking about the, the difference between bodhicitta and um, Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. Basic goodness. <laughs> I have a deja vu. Did I say that here before? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but anyways, it's very much in my mind. And and Chogyam Trumpa spoke about and bring the example of Mozart. That mm. Mozart has a tremendous quality and uh, talent for music but then he needed cause and condition to develop that so this basic goodness could shine through him through music and uh, and then she added that the sadness is that many people would come to this world and die without having a possibility of cause and condition to actually activate this bodhicitta. So I just want to share that. I thought that's, that was really... Well, that is, that is beautiful. And uh, it makes me think of the, uh, of Gampopa, one of the uh, lineage um, forefathers of the Kagyu tradition. 
that brought Mahamudra and the um, Lojong practices together. The, uh, and, uh, and he talks about the uh, precious human birth, which includes the causes and conditions of being born in a place where the Dharma can be heard. So we have to remember our tre tremendous good fortune in having so many of these causes and conditions that uh, we have an opportunity to hear the Dharma, that we have uh, life circumstances that are not so onerous that we can actually contemplate things and practice the Dharma. And it, the idea is that by recognizing this precious human birth, uh, there are two main factors. One factor is it overcomes complacency because uh, as the four reminders go, it's, uh, it's not so easy to find this situation and it's impermanent. We don't know how long it's going to last. So complacency is not what's called for in these situations. We should practice like our, our, as if our hair were on fire. And then the other thing that it inspires is uh, compassion. Uh, and that is because we have this precious opportunity the, that, and we can see how many other people don't, then it, it's heartbreaking. It breaks our heart and makes us want to find a way to ease their suffering and help them have the causes and conditions. And the, the three, <coughs> excuse me, the three kinds of generosity that it, that, that it inspires is the gift of the Dharma, uh, the uh, psychological generosity or freedom from fear, and then material generosity um, that, uh, of uh, food and shelter and, and physical health. So I hope that's, that's helpful in some way interesting. Thank you very much. All right, well, I connected with Rebecca. So let's try the uh, Rebecca's audio again. Hi, Rebecca, are you there now? Hello, I hope so. Yes, you are. Okay, <laughs> great. You, your, name, your name is there. Yes, okay. yes. That's fine. Thank you. Um, this morning, there were a number of mosquitoes in our house. They, they slip in very quickly. It's just nature's really full right now. And I saw one about two uh, feet away from me, in front of me, and I was talking to a friend on the phone and I said, uh, because this is somewhat related to Vajrayana practice I'm doing, you know, they say to see all beings as Tara. Well, I started to imagine this mosquito Mosquito as this little green mosquito. Um, I didn't go as far as imagining it as a miniature Tara, but it really lightened the moment. And then I just forgot about the mosquito and he did whatever he did. Either he bit me or he didn't. But and anyway, um, there are so many myriad ways to practice basic goodness. And it would be easy, let's say, if we see a hummingbird at a flower to perhaps go to basic goodness. 
whereas um, maybe we're reading the headlines and then our mind just contracts, etc. So I'm wondering if you might give us a few playful ways to play with beginner practice with basic goodness. Let's say someone's out in nature. Um, and then also a few playful ways to play with basic goodness when we are um, reading headlines of, of hard news. Well, that's a, that, that's an interesting, um, interesting concept. Uh, one of the one of the qualities of basic goodness is that it it it's not so much conventional good versus conventional bad, and trying to replace bad with good. Uh, it's it, it's kind of like what Rana was saying of the difference between Buddha nature and bodhicitta, and the the quality of absolute bodhicitta, which is essentially Buddha nature, and relative bodhicitta, which is the, the skillful means. But the, the idea of basic goodness um, is the quality that we have of, you could say, of appreciation. So um, one thing when you're out in nature, and as you said, you see the hummingbird and you see something beautiful, you know, you, you, can, you can just tune into the uh, wordless feeling that that evokes. The wordless feeling, the, 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 the sense of being before concept that is just pure appreciation. In the tradition, they sometimes call it pure perception or seeing the world as sacred. And, and so um, another way of, of talking about it is non-dualistically. Now this doesn't mean, non-dualism doesn't mean that we become a homogenous, everything's one big bowl of jello, okay? It means that there's, there isn't the artificial separation that comes with concept. So that you, and if we want to break it down, it's you, it's the uh, environment, it's the environmental energies, whether it's light or sound or sensation, coming in through your sense perceptions, going in through your nervous system to your brain, which becomes your mind, and it's all one unified field of experience rather than me over here and that thing that I am regarding as good over there. You see that that separation is, is, is important to overcome. When you overcome that separation, then there is this general background sense of um, life energy. Uh, and a positive appreciation of beauty. And it's something that's very, very natural. You know, it, you, you could say it's the quality of fierce wild animals that still have this love for their young. If you want to, another way of thinking of it is our, our inherent capacity 
is basically good. It's a positive, a positive capacity for knowing. Our, our basic capacity is not a basic capacity for ignorance. It's a capacity for knowing. And it's a capacity for feeling. It's not a capacity for numbness that, that's at the root of our nature. It's a capacity for feeling. And the potentiality, that potentiality for knowing and feeling is really what basic goodness, ultimate basic goodness is. Then what that potentiality for knowing becomes ultimately is wisdom, non-dual wisdom, non-referential wisdom, and the capacity for feeling becomes love, but non-referential love or compassion. And so those are the ultimate positive experiences that arise out of our capacities that are valued um, by all, by all in, in every society, those qualities are valued. And so if we then take a look at situations in nature, we tune into that appreciation. When we look out at the headlines, it should evoke, it not should, but could, someone in the chat pointed out, not shooting all over ourselves, but could evoke compassion and sadness for the confusion that we see in the world. And that ties into what Rana was saying and the sadness that some people have not experienced the causes and conditions for, that, that enable them to tap into wakefulness and basic goodness and bodhicitta and awakened heart and all those qualities, but they, they are shut down and covered, covered up. You know, um, I created a, a story for my first book, Zen Golf. I created a, uh, <laughs> the editors wanted more Zen stories. So I created one out of uh, a Mahayana metaphor. It's in uh, the Uttara, um, I think it's the Uttara Tantra. The, and it's the metaphor of a gold statue um, covered with clay. So the sadness is that the basic goodness that's there in all those beings, even the ones that seem so terrible in the headlines and are doing such terrible things, their nature is still basic goodness, but it is covered under tons of clay. And all we can do is, is try to help find ways to remove that clay so that they have the opportunity to have a glimpse of that basic goodness. And that's the, the sadness and the compassion that we can feel. So, so I think that that's, that's the trigger, Rebecca, to um, use the being upset at what we're experiencing and flip it to compassion. Yes, that, that makes perfect sense. And it also makes perfect sense that the compassion aspect is what would, um, what could come forth um, when we're faced with anything that 
um, you know, uh, brings forth empathy, um, whether it's the news or we see a hurt animal or, or whatever it is, that that it's not that necessarily boundless love isn't there or or just a, a basic appreciation of, of basic goodness in general, but because of that particular situation, compassion or perhaps tears, um, that aspect is what would uh, what could come forth. So thank you. That that's very helpful. I'm I'm talking about anger triggering your compassion. Well anger, right yes anger anger at what you're seeing of how someone treats other people. And you, it's, it's easy to have compassion for the people on the receiving end. What's hard is having compassion on the people who are delivering that, you're, that, that, that make you very reasonably angry at that behavior. And to say, wow, that is so sad that that person is so confused and has so much blocking and and covering up what the the basic goodness that could be shining forth and instead it it's uh twisted into um all of this negative action and and now in in kind of traditional buddhism one of the things you would feel compassion for is the terrible karma that that person is creating for themselves. Um, I, I'm not going there because sometimes you can say, well, that's an easy justification and, and all of that, that, oh, that's their bad karma. That's why they do this. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, that it's so sad that they're not able to access that basic goodness. And then instead, it manifests in all of these compensations and defense mechanisms that make other people suffer that much more. They basically they're sharing their suffering and projecting it out onto the world. And it's reasonable to be angry about that. And it's easy to feel compassion for the people on the receiving end. The challenge is to use this as an exercise to say, everybody that I'm angry at, everything I complain about, I want to flip and see what's behind that that's being covered up and feel a sadness and, and, and uh, um, tender heart about that. And that doesn't stop you from doing the things necessary to protect the people who are on the receiving end and to do, what you, do what's necessary because you know, in, in the Buddhist tradition, they talk about um, the realms of existence and particular personality styles. And one of them is this uh, called an asura, or uh, the translation, rough translation is jealous God. And they're always doing battle. They always see life as a competition and they have to, they have to win and defeat everybody else. And traditionally, the, uh, in the iconography, if you see a tanka of the wheel of life, the Buddha, that the skillful means that's called forth is actually parrying or, or countering their attacks until they're completely exhausted and their ambition and jealousy and anger are exhausted. And at that moment of exhaustion, there's a possibility of a glimpse of wakefulness.
So that's an interesting avenue of exploration. Thank you. And um, my, my original question for the news was really pointing at what you brought out. Um, it's the compassion for those that it's not so easy uh, that it doesn't come up initially. So, so thank you. That's um, much food for thought there. You're welcome. Great. We have um, a few hands raised now. And um, next up is Denny. So I will give the audio to Denny next. If it's okay, I have four verses of a poem written by Dugo Kense Rinpoche called Brilliant Moon in the Sky, Ocean Dharma on the Ground. And it's much longer than the, the four verses that I would read, but for me this week, this encapsulated Um, this encapsulated sort of a hope for practice, sort of, you don't want to hope for fruition, I guess, but anyway, it was inspiring. Great. As old man brilliant moon travels in the sky, Prince Ocean of Dharma remains on the ground. Though in the illusion of circumstance, there seems to be great distance between, in the mind's heart realm of one flavor, separations do not exist. Brilliant moon's light garland streams from heaven's height. From the moment it touches Ocean of Dharma on the ground, it becomes activity for the welfare of others dispelling the torment of the dark age, since in the absolute meaning there is no separation, this self-expression of auspicious coincidence occurs. From cool ocean of Dharma, rivers in the four directions, east, west, south, north, temporarily flow. But since they are one in the great ocean of Buddha activity for the welfare of the teachings and beings, the prince enters the one realm of brilliant moon. Little teardrops trickle from the corners of the eyes of the only sun, and a vivid sadness arises in the old father's mind moon. This is the fruition of our mutual prayer not to be separated throughout our lives. Having confidence in this, we rest in uncontrived innate space. That's very beautiful. You know, that's, uh, Kensi Rinpoche was writing that to uh, Chigam Trungpa. Right. Yeah, that's Ocean of Dharma is the translation of Chigam Trungpa. Yeah. And I, it just, I don't know. That is very, very beautiful. And that's why Moonlight has that quality to it, that soothing quality to it. That's why I find it helpful to in doing the Tonglen practice, to use the image of moonlight going out from the, the heart center, because it, it uh, cools the, um, the fever of illness and the, uh, the fire of um, emotional distress. Yeah.
there's uh, quite a few requests. Denny, if you're able to put that um, poem in the chat, I know some people would be really happy if that's possible. Can I do it? I, I have to scan it and then afterwards I can put it in the chat because it's from an, it's actually from a very well used book <laughs> that I read frequently. Well, that probably won't work, but I'll send you a message privately and then we can put it on um, okay. after. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, next up with the audio is uh, Jerry and Maureen. So I'll hand the audio to them. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm guessing that's Maureen. Yes. <laughs> So thinking about basic goodness this week particularly, mm -hmm. um, I, I am aware that I have been watching the news on television for quite a while, but particularly during this COVID and, um, and really since the beginning of this administration, I feel like I need to pay close attention to what's happening. And I am choosing to listen to newscasters who have basic goodness. And by that, I mean, um, well, one of the people that Andrew mentioned is Rachel Maddow. And uh, also uh, the other person he mentioned was Colbert. And I noticed that they have, how I'm seeing their basic goodness is when they talk about some of the wrong or bad things that are happening or negative things, they do it without any poison. Does that make sense? Yes, I understand what you, what you mean. Yeah, and it's really something to see the difference between people who are speaking and talking about really kind of heavy duty things mm -hmm. and saying it without dehumanizing the person they're talking about. Without, Understood. Using, without using any poison. And I think particularly I've noticed for myself during this time, particularly with this administration, that it really helps in listening to the news to choose carefully where I'm listening. Under, understood. And I'm just, um, the basic goodness of some of these newscasters, and it's, it's quite admirable actually. Uh, it, it is. Um, I, I want to make an important distinction, okay. and that is that they all have basic goodness. Every being, sure. every newscaster, of course. Uh, no matter how nasty they manifest, right. their nature is basic goodness. Sure. That sure. We, we can't, we, we don't want to lose track of that. Now, as far as the skillfulness of how they manifest, right. that, that's, I wouldn't call that basic goodness. I would call that goodness. <laughs> that they're decent, decency, decent people. And that their basic, their basic goodness is coming through in a way that is authentic. Yep. Uh, and, um, and, really decent so you could say well that basic goodness is not distorted or covered up or or needing all of the supports and and 
and compensations. Right. Now, um, and I, I listen to the same. I make a point of listening to uh, Fox News too and, and, uh, and hearing what they have to say because I wanna, I wanna understand where they're coming from. I, I wanna understand where that guy, there's a guy wearing a, a, uh, um, a, a kind of nasty t-shirt who runs a gun shop that says no one's allowed to wear a mask if they want to shop in, in my place. How, how completely upside down that world is from anything that makes sense scientifically and medically. And you, and you go, okay, I, I want to understand where they're coming from because it, unless you understand something of where they're coming from, there's no possibility of communication. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is important, uh, even from, from the, uh, the people that, that you were referring to, sometimes they, um, they can have a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of a pick and choose that shapes it in a particular direction. And one of the things that I find frustrating is the, the thing they're commenting on is so ridiculous and so obviously off. They don't need to pile on. They don't need to add on. Yeah. And I think that the, the people that you were referring to are, are some of the best at that. But it's something that it's easy to fall into to be on one side or the other. And, and that's the thing that we've talked about before um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, where it's, it's about, there's so much light coming in, there's so many sounds coming in, there's so many things coming into our system, and our brain picks and chooses based on what matches up with how we see things already. Right. That's one of the big, big problems with the world and media now is people only tune into the people that, that they agree with and then everything gets very, very polarized. So I don't want to diminish what you said, Maureen. It's really inspiring to see someone who can talk about things that are extremely upsetting and not get upset about them and be able to present them with compassion. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what you were talking about? Mm -hmm. and, and be able to present them that way. And that is the quality of basic goodness that's expressed in skillful means of the qualities of bodhicitta. Remember the three qualities. Insight, so that they're seeing what's what. Discriminating the dharmas. Right. And not getting confused about that. Yeah. Compassion. So that they, they are doing it with a tender heart and not aggression. And openness. See, and, and that's the hard part for, for conventional newscasters, for example. Openness is the shunyata quality. Can you not take the whole thing so seriously and see that underneath the whole thing, it's a dance of energy and light? Yeah, that's, that's the absolute quality. We can't lose, we can't 
only go in that direction either. We have to see the relative quality that people are causing and uh, suffering and people are experiencing it because of that. So we have to be able to work as best we can to uh, be on the side of what can reduce suffering. And, and that's where the insight comes in because Ursula Tenzin, one of my close teachers said, good intentions mixed with confusion are a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think Maureen, your comment is really, really helpful. You can have a good intention, but then if it's mixed with the confusion of aggression towards the people you disagree with, it undercuts your whole argument, right? Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that. Well, next up uh, with the audio will be Peter. Hi, Peter. I think you've just answered my question uh, in saying that uh, good intentions mixed with confusion is a, is a recipe for disaster because uh, recently, I was speaking with a friend whom um, I've known for a little, a little bit, and I, at some point I suggested she might like to read uh, Minja Rinpoche's book, In Love with the World, and she, she went ahead and she got the book and read it, and when I spoke with her the other day, I, um, I don't know, but I, I got the sense, you know, that she didn't really get it. I mean, that was my opinion. Mm -hmm. She sort of missed the, the depth of it, and, and more so that she could not have understood it because, I mean, after all, how long has she been involved with the Dharma? I had these kinds of thoughts, and that then trans translated into my, into my tone towards her, which, you know, without getting into the details of it, but I think I was kind of severe and thinking, okay, I got to speed up your education here. <laughs> so... So I spoke to her in such a way that I eventually actually, I'm so sorry to put it, I actually had her come to tears. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm, I'm, I'm lacking skillful means here. So I'm just telling this to you, yeah. uh, if you could give me some, some insight or some tips, if you like, uh, regarding what it is that I was doing wrong, because my view was, you know, truth above all, reality above all. And so I must tell you, you know, how things really are and that you don't really get the gist or the message of this book. You don't really see it. I have to, I have to enlighten you. But this good intention ended up having her uh, kind of start to, to cry. So how would, how would you respond to, to this whole incident? So let's say that there's a... Uh a flower in your garden. It's on one flower on a stem and you go, and the other flowers are taller. And you go, you know, this flower should be taller. And you, you start pulling on the stem to make it taller. What's eventually going to happen? Yeah, you, you, um, you kind of destroy the flower. You're going to pull it out by its roots. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you have to treat people like flowers. And the way that you make a flower grow 
is to give it the, and this goes back to Rana's comment, the right causes and conditions. Uh, and so to, uh, that's water, sunlight, fertilizer. But if you are getting impatient that, the, that, it, that it's not blooming and you pull the petals back, how does that work out? If it's not tall enough and you pull on the stem, those, that, you're forcing it into something that's not ready to do. So people are like flowers. So you say, okay, what's the best water I can give? And what's the best fertilizer? And maybe you, uh, you gave her a book that was, you know, that, that that particular plant, that particular flower, you know, they, it doesn't take direct sunlight very well. <laughs> and you, you had it in a nice pot and you put it right out in the sun on the porch and it got a little fried. Well, you need to bring it in, put it in the shade, give it some water, and be very, very gentle with it. Now, um, if you're a spokesperson for the truth, and you make someone cry from your truth, and they're not crying out of recognition, but crying because you're hurting their feelings, is that really speaking the truth now that that's speaking your version of it and saying uh you should be thinking the way i'm thinking and that's aggression so there's a you know this is a pretty uh boilerplate uh business talk always seek to understand first and then be understood so if she wasn't getting it you know, I, I read the Mingyur Rinpoche book and cried, okay? And that, that's what you're looking for, I know, right, Peter? Yeah. <laughs> Say, oh, yeah, he gets it because he cried. Okay, right. So, so um, if they're not, you go, inquire. Instead of saying, this is how you should understand it, again, find out how she is understanding it. What, what is it that, how are you experiencing that? And very, you know, I, I listen, I remember when years ago, I went to back to a high school reunion and this one woman was, you know, said, oh, wow, your, your presence is just so beautiful. What have you been into? And I said, well, I'm studying Buddhism. And she said, oh, give me some books to read. And I think I gave her cutting through spiritual materialism. And she was not ready for it. I mean, you have to be caught up in spiritual materialism to get to be ready to hear the book cutting through spiritual materialism. And she was just a, you know, person who had no experience with the Dharma. So I made that mistake. And, and it put her off completely. So we have to understand what it is we're, we're working with and be, try to be uh, try to put our, I mean, this is basically what Tonglen is and Lojong. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and say, what would they be able to tune into? And, and don't try to take the whole thing all at once, little by little. 
Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Thank you. And, and I was just thinking when, when we had the conversation, I recall thinking to myself, I was thinking, uh, I even sort of said it to her, which I think made her even more kind of upset, where I said something like, um, I don't think you were ready for this, suggesting that, you know, there are, there are gradations in the Dharma. And, you know, the teacher knows when the student is ready for certain things, but it was wrong. Uh, and, and just the fact that she came to, to tears because of that, that told me everything. And I thought, no, you've done something wrong here. And when you talk about the truth, as you did before, you know, I have this many, you know, I think many of us have a kind of a notion of the truth. Like, for example, if I say, um, today is Thursday. Yeah, that's true. It's true for everyone. There's no debating about that. But that kind of truth, uh, what we might call objective truth, um, it does not always serve truth when we're talking about it in the context of what I've just described, that conversation. Because you truth... Know, it, you know, there's, there's uh, insight and there's skillful means. And, mm -hmm. it, and it takes both. And by the way, I think it's Friday in Australia. So Thursday, it's just not true. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Um, I, I, and, I and, you know, Penny, Penny J wrote, uh, maybe she was crying from confusion or suffering. Um, well, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, Peter, we weren't there. Peter knows what, what was going on, but it makes sense to say, Oh, you know, you're, you basically, you were saying you're not evolved enough to get it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not very nice. <laughs> that was wrong. That's, kind of, that's kind of a put down and we have to be very careful. You know, um, one of the things, uh, that, uh, Ursula Tenzin told me when I, I was director of the, the meditation center in Halifax and he said, and you know, I'm, I have a tendency to be um, teacher mode. Ironically, my last name is parent and I have a parental tone to my voice sometimes. Um, and he said, please, please be careful. Don't make other people feel stupid. So I think that's a really, really important teaching. Yeah, this is very clear. Thank you so much. Your remarks have been very, very helpful. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Joe. Um, next with the audio will be Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi. Where are you? Well, on my screen, I'm right next oh, to you. Oh, there you are. Hi. <laughs> I don't know where I am. It didn't, it didn't show up. I, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I've been here since 72, been here a long time. That's when I got to Boulder. 72, so, you know, so a long time student of Trungpa Rinpoche and, you know, my, my I was 18 when I got here. So, um, Just a you know, my, my, my adult life, you know, has been as a student of Dharma and being part of the um, psychology uh, 
people at Naropa and, you know, so I'm just trying to describe my little bubble within the bubble in Boulder, you know, it's kind of like, so, um, you know, I, first of all, I want to thank the people who share because the, the questions and the comments are always very relevant and helpful. And I want to thank you, Joseph, for fearlessly meeting the questions. And anyway, so, so this one's kind of related to Peter's comment, because I feel like um, I'm, I'm lonely, you know, and I'm going out of the bubble. I'm, I'm experiencing people who are not Buddhist practitioners, and I want to connect. And I feel a connection with people. And um, then I realized that we are really missing each other. Like I'm in such a different place. And um, I don't know that because I've been in a bubble all these years and I project myself all over people. And so um, it makes me even more lonely, particularly when I feel an affinity to somebody. So I'm gonna give an example of a friend who lives in um, Victoria. And I really liked this woman. I felt like we had a lot in common and everything. And then she developed breast cancer. And, um, you know, most people, I guess, are just like, oh, that's so horrible. The thought of dying is defeat, et cetera, blah, blah. Not that she's going to die, but, you know, I mean, that that comes up because it was a very form aggressive form of breast cancer. And, you know, that's not my view, like that death is defeat and it's so terrible. You know, I, I've been involved with studying and teaching Tibetan Book of the Dead for, you know, most of my adult life. So to me, it's kind of like an opportunity. And um, so I realized how radical that view was when I expressed that I didn't have the same view about death that she did. And, and I realized, oh my God, I totally miss who she was. I didn't get that she would be so far off and not understand me. So I, I, I kind of felt apologetic and tried to back off. And then she's gone through her cancer treatments and I've told her about my excitement about working, uh, you know, attending these conversations. And I've done all of Andrew's classes during this COVID pandemic. And just, I am just like so grateful and on fire with the teachings. And I read that book um, that Peter was just talking about, you know, in love with the world. And so she, my excitement was contagious. And she said, I want to learn about what you are studying. So I sent her the book. Now I haven't heard from her. <laughs> and, and, and I, I think Peter's not alone. Peter's not alone. You see what I'm trying to say is it's like, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to connect with people. It, mm -hmm. This is not all selfless. I mean, I do feel as a Bodhisattva that I want to help people there. I'm not saying that's not in there, but there's also the, the loneliness. And, um, well, so uh, I just right. wanted to mention that along with mm -hmm. the projection, you know, projecting myself all over people and not even understanding what how how off you know here she's a conventionally reality person with aggressive breast cancer and i'm like well death isn't defeat you know and it's just like and then i send her this book and i don't hear from her so i'm like you see what i mean i'm like uh incurable yes, I, understand. Yeah. I understand um let's talk about the loneliness part yeah uh and yeah um it can feel that way, uh, especially if you don't have a lot of close sangha around. But but then, even if you do have a, a, a pretty integrated sangha and then you go outside of it, you feel very separate. Now, 
as far as in dharmic terms, the idea is to take a look at that loneliness and use all of those, that kind of experience and the kind of experience Peter had, always just say, you know, um, the tradition is, instead of looking at what, what's wrong with the situation out there, what's happening the way that I'm seeing it or relating to it. And without, a, without self-condemnation, you have to remember your own basic goodness too, right? And, and have maitri and kindness towards yourself. But within that, say, okay, what is it that I'm doing that created this kind of feeling, either in me or in the other or between us? And then, and then you, you take a look. So one of the things is, okay, if I feel this separation, and this is really important, if I feel this separation between me and so many other people in the world, how am I, what am I doing that creates that? I mean, I've watched Trunkberg in the Bible. I'm saying I don't. I don't feel a separation. And then I'm wrong because I, they do, they don't connect. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you said. No, no, no. I, I feel very connected with people. And then I say stuff from my truth. And then it's like, wow, they so are not there, you know? Understood. And, and if that's your, if that's the response, then maybe, you know, again, I think it just comes down to skillful means. I'm getting a little mixed up with what you're talking about because I thought you talked about loneliness at the beginning. It's a desire to share my world. And like you were talking about, you know, Sangha. I have Sangha friends, but having been involved with this community for so long, I realized that there's limitations. Like I, there's other things that I want to do in the areas of okay. personal growth. So I go out into other communities and meet people. Right. I understand. Now, and, and, and I thought that's where you said you felt lonely and separated from them. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about confusion. Like, I assume we have a connection, like the, the example of her feeling mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm not going to die. I'm going to fight this. And me suggesting that maybe death is not the enemy, you know. I'm, I'm definitely feeling the confusion. Okay. So, because I, I don't, being clear. Yeah. I, I, I'm not really understanding, but what I was addressing the loneliness but I don't think that's the question. I think it's the question of uh, wanting to share what you have is a great inspiration. But if right. you want to share and you are not, and, and you are imposing that on someone else or putting it on them in a way that, that, is, that they're not likely to be receptive to, then you're actually creating an obstacle. Wanting to share and saying, I know better, that's what Peter was, was talking about. Wanting to share and say, I know better, or to say, you know, I really wish that you didn't live in such a fucked up world, <laughs> um, has a quality of aggression to it. So instead, um, connect with the person, and, and, and this is where Maitri comes in. This is an interesting, interesting top uh, topic i want to i want to connect with and, and peter i'm glad you're still listening on this one okay what trunk Rinpoche taught us when we were in the maitri project working with people who had psychological issues he said um when a crazy person walks into the room you're crazy 
Now, that's, those are the words he used. We've had a variety of interpretations from it, of it, but what I've experienced in working with others is that if I am listening to them and I tune into what I'm feeling, it, we, as human beings, we're like tuning forks. You know what a tuning fork is? Oh yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Right? And you have two tuning forks and you strike one and it vibrates and pretty soon the other one starts vibrating the same. Right. So you're a tuning fork. If you can drop your notion of what you want them to get, right. if you can drop your notion of how you're taking their words in your head and drop your plan for what you have for them, I've got a plan for you. Yeah. <laughs> then you start to feel what they're feeling. Okay. Um, like, like tuning into you, I was trying to get what, where you were coming from. And I thought it was loneliness, but it wasn't. So I said, Hey, I'm feeling confused. Okay. So Katie's feeling confused. <laughs> and, and let's, let's talk about that. And, and that is, how to communicate with somebody without creating that separation, right? Right, yeah. Okay, so how to communicate to somebody without creating the separation is feel what they're feeling and just say, oh my God, that sounds, you know, this came up many weeks ago where we were talking about Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd situation and Charles Lee had this great comment and, and, it was a, and it was saying, don't say, I can't imagine how that must feel because that creates that separation. Say, right. I, want, I want to share. I will, help, me, help me feel what you're feeling. Right, right, yeah. What are I you going that. through? Help yeah. me feel what you're going through and then right. you can have an authentic response to that because yeah. you will feel it in yourself. And then you'll have an authentic response to that. And why not give her the book that, that Pema wrote, When Things Fall Apart? Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is a little easier access than In Love With The World. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. But anyway, so, it's already done hey, now. If, yeah. she, said, if yeah. she says, I say, how do you feel? You know, is, this, is it devastating? She says, yeah, I feel like my whole world is falling apart. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, guess what? I got a book for you <laughs> when things fall apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have a natural connection. It, yeah. it, it has to be organic. It has to be natural. It has to come out of a shared experience. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it, that's right. it, you, you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so find out, say, tell me what you're going through. Share it with me. Let me hold some of that with you. Let me keep you company in that fear yeah. in that that panic in that feeling not oh you don't need to be afraid of death you just created a tremendous separation with somebody who's afraid of death yeah 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 i i, I was not um aware of of that i i she she actually has read pema when i sent her the book by minga rinpoche she said pema is on the book recommending it and she says i love pema so i'm really excited about reading the book so she's read pema and still, I've not heard back from her. And well, let me just let me just clarify. I wasn't saying don't be afraid of death. Other things may have gotten in the yeah. way. 
Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying that I, I, I was not feeling like um, I was telling her, don't be afraid of death. I was, what I was doing was sharing my experience of, you know, having been in a plane crash and what that was like and the whole thing about bringing the teachings. And that's what I was meaning about the loneliness. It was kind of like, oh, I would like somebody to have a glimpse into my reality. But well, that did not work. Right? No, I, I'll give you a, a, a real key on that. Yeah. It's not a, you always say it's not about me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about me. You right. want her to get you. That's right. not the point. No, clearly. That's not clearly. the point. The point right. is to get her. Right. Don't try to make her, don't wish that she could get you. Yeah. It's not about you. Yeah, that's right. And so that's what I was saying about loneliness, right? You get that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so why there you go. Thank any, you. Why doesn't anybody get, anybody get me? It's not about, it's not about you. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's, that's right. Thank you. Thank you for sticking in here with me. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. Um, all right, well, next up will be Marilyn with the audio. One second here. Am I unmuted? Yes. Hello. Okay. Hi, Marilyn. Hi. Thank you so, 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 so much. Oh, my I pleasure. So much Truly, these are my pleasure. Yeah, it's our pleasure as well. Uh, mine is actually just a comment. I work in a convalescent hospital doing physical therapy and uh, a good number of the people who come in are crazy. So this one guy who recently came in will be yelling at the top of his lungs with expletives and, you know, saying how this and that and the other thing happened. And one of my coworkers had worked in a locked unit, so she has more experience with people like that. And the other day when he was going off his yelling off his thing, she said, oh, well, you know, come on in. We'll invite you in. You can come in and have some coffee. You know, you can just hang out and relax. And I just went, I just, I would never think of inviting him to come in. You know, I would think of get the heck out of, out of here, you know. So I've learned a lot from my coworkers. That's pretty good. And I tend to be like, come on, let's get it done. And this one... <laughs> This one guy was just so terrified about getting out of bed. We have to use a Hoyer lift. And I was just thinking, let's get it on and get it on and get it on. And my co another coworker, very calmly, in a very calm voice, and I, I checked with her later, just explained, first we're going to do this, then right. we're going to do that, then we're going to do this, everything will be fine. We got him up in the air. And he was saying, no, 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 I want to go back to bed. And I was going, he's already in the air. Get him in the chair. And she said, okay, we'll put you back to bed. So I realized that with that calm, just explaining step by step by step, and then also giving him the option. You don't want to do it? Okay. And I, I realized that that is a way of establishing trust. You know, yes. I'm not going to yes. run over you like I usually tend to do. It's and about them. So, yeah. And so I'm just so grateful to be surrounded by people that uh, 
are a lot more That's skilled right. in some ways than I am. That's it's right. just wonderful, That's learning so it, much. <laughs> it, it is about them. That's why they said the Buddha spoke 84,000 languages. Now, what did that mean? It didn't, there weren't 84,000 languages. <laughs> there were maybe, it's 84,000 is a symbolic number that means an infinite number. But basically, whoever he was speaking to, he wasn't telling them his story. He was speaking in their language. He was speaking in whatever their language was, that's the language he spoke. Rather than exactly. I teach you my stuff. So what those people that you're fortunate to be working with, they were tuning into what is that person experiencing? What do they need? Uh, I was able to do that for my mother when she was in the hospital and the doctors were doing this, this, and this. And I said, stop. And I held her hand and I said, now, first, tell me what the first thing you're, tell her what the first thing you're going to do is. Mm -hmm. And he said it. And I said, okay, mom, are you ready for him to do that? And she said, well, as long as you're holding my hand, I'm ready. And I said, I'm holding your hand. And I said to the doctor, she's ready, but don't do anything more than that one thing. <laughs> right, and, that, right. and, and we made it through about six different steps. But he was ready to get his job done. <laughs> right. And that is not what it was about. And then one of the things I try to do is when I'm talking with someone and they're saying, well, what about this? And I say, well, many people experience blah, blah, blah. So. I try to not put it on them. You know, it's like, well, many people experience this and this is some, some of them handle it this way. And, you know, so it's not you, 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 you. It's like, well, you know, a lot of people experiencing this and they've done that it this way. That is very helpful. That is very yeah. helpful. It's what, something that I do when somebody comes to me with an issue. I said, oh, that's really common. Which isn't to say you're not special, but you're not specially bad. <laughs> so I said yeah. you have a lot of company. Yeah, I that's, just didn't that's, do it right. You have right. a lot of company. I just didn't that, remember. You know, like the rest of us, you have a lot of company. <laughs> well, you know, it, you know what I was talking about um, has to comes from these teachings on Maitri uh, of loving kindness that Trungpa Rinpoche taught, uh, and it was to people who were working with the Maitri project at the time. And one of the things was tune into what you're experiencing like a tuning fork that you're, right. and then you pick it up and you talk on their, on, on their terms. And, and the other one was the ways that we try to be other than ourselves are quintessentially <laughs> our own. We do it in our own exact style. So we have to have a sense of humor. <laughs> that we are walking around and we are caricatures of ourselves. <laughs> and it's so great to have a sense of humor about that. Oh, really? That, that's the most, that's, that sense of humor, to me, that's what it all comes down to. Not taking yeah. yourself too seriously and, and having compassion for people who are taking themselves seriously and meeting them in their place, not yours. Yeah. So thank you so much, everybody. Uh, again, truly my pleasure to be here for these programs. Do, 
Are we, are we, is the time up? What, what do you think, Andy, Andy um, do you wanna? It's up to you, Joe. Uh, if you have some time, there's two more, three more hands raised, two more questions, potentially. Well, I'm concerned I don't wanna keep everybody else, but uh, Erica has, hasn't she had her hand up for a while? Huh. Relatively speaking. Uh, well, yes. you're, you're the moderator. We'll go as long as you want and then and make sure everybody gets um, uh, and, and let's be careful. We're not going to get Zoom bombed. <laughs> sure. Well, um, Erica, I will give you the audio next. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Um, I, I came on way late. Uh, I was having a um, gosh, I don't you know, uh, Joe, I'm not even so much sure that this is a question is that I just uh, want to really um, you almost took the words out of my mouth. You know, the Buddha taught at the level uh, at the eye level of the person he was standing in front of um, from the most esoteric to the most, you know, mundane. Uh, I think there was a monk that reached enlightenment by just sweeping the temple, <laughs> you know, just, um, you know, with a pure heart. Um, anyway, uh, I guess I just wanted to share a, a couple of things, and, and I'd love it if you'd chime in. Um, uh, there was a film, I'm very much a believer of cinema therapy, <laughs> and, and I understand that uh, reality you know, the movie projector is in the back of our heads and it's not like the, there's an inherent movie out there that's being projected onto us. But there was a great old Woody Allen movie called Zelig. I don't know if you all remember it. And uh, whoever he was talking to, he would be, he would basically become that he was so codependent, but really over the top. He would literally, if he was talking to, a, you know, a Mandarin person, he would literally start to speak the language and turn into that person. Right. And so, um, and, it, and it was hilariously funny. And, um, and I sometimes turn, I wanna keep politics out of it, but I sometimes deliberately turn into a stealth Republican so I can hear what another person has to say, uh, you know, who I know is coming from that place. Um, but I think the distinction is, um, there's, I think there's compassion and idiot compassion. And there's kind of, there's like the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of times I think that I sit just to get in tune, to slow down the monkey mind, uh, to see what it is I need and how I can make myself feel better or more centered so that I can be of service to other people because you can't really give away what you don't have. And um, so, so, you know, every day part of my practice is um, how much am I going to engage? Like how full is my well? And there are times when I just have to admit, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty dry. Um, and <laughs> the other thing is, uh, and I don't know if, if this has been brought up before, I apologize for being redundant. I did come on late. I was on a Feldenkrais, emergency Feldenkrais session. Um, but essentially, there are many of us walking around with post-traumatic stress disorder, which has been piled on top of developmental trauma disorder. 
Um, and I think we have sort of a PTSD pandemic going on. And I think what's really difficult is it's a very particular, it, it reorganizes your brain function in very clear ways that it's been measured. Uh, and I won't, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to be pedantic or lecturing about it, but I'm finding that everyone's people are on a razor's edge. People's tempers are really, really short. And mm -hmm. I'm just wanted to share a technique. I, I do like a misery loves company. I guess it's a variation of the Zelig thing. You know, if someone just is, if I feel a lot of people want to complain and, uh, and I complain along with them. And then we're like, then there's a, it, maybe it's a little negative, but at least it's a point of, of connection, you know, that sort of misery loves company. And, and, and eventually there's a sense of humor about it. And I just loved what you said about a sense of humor because everyone really wants to laugh. I mean, it's so basic. Thank um, you. Thank but, you for your comments. I appreciate yeah. it. It's great. So thank you for being here. And I just wanted to feel a part of, and, um, and I think, I think it would be great if we all sort of read up on PTSD because it's a very real thing. Um, Understood, and, and I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, that's super. Well, thank you for sharing, sharing that. Thanks, Erica. Um, are you open to take uh, one more question, Joe? From yeah, Deborah? one more. All right, great. And let's close up. Sounds good, thanks, Joe. Hi, Joe. Thank you Hi. for this. Hi. Nice to see um, you again, Deborah. You too. Um, I'm going to go back to loneliness, and I'm going to try and stay a little unconfused about this. Um, are, you, I, are you on a boat? I, I'm, I'm in I, it's Guatemala. Nice. I let my lake, the lake. Um, I found that during this pandemic, particularly, what came up for me was loneliness and i have and we we've been on curfew we there are whole weekends we can't go outside of our homes or out of our properties um and i've mentioned it to a number of people including a number of spiritual people consciousness seekers seekers and they say what 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 does loneliness mean why are you lonely uh, what is loneliness? And I have always felt to some degree that loneliness is one of the natural sort of separations that I felt my whole life, which is part of my spiritual seeking. And, um, and I'm, and some people say they never feel it. And I'm just curious about what you would say about loneliness as part of the path and how to deal with it. Um, loneliness uh, could be a lot of things, but in, in general, uh, it's a sense that something is missing and that we're, we're looking for a, something that to complete us, that we're incomplete. In the spiritual path, um, I know Trungpa Rinpoche talked about uh, Milarepa who spent a lot of time alone. And he talked about loneliness transforming into aloneness. And the sense of um, 
being alone and recognizing it's it's ironic it's kind of paradoxical when you realize and can accept being alone and not needing something from outside to fulfill you then you're actually open to everything because you're not picking and choosing and looking for what it is that's going to complete you and mm-hmm. you're not coming from a poverty mentality mm-hmm. now that aloneness is a little bit shocking and bracing so we talk about it like the 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 crisp cool air on a the snow-covered mountain whoa it's fresh it's awake mm-hmm. it isn't particularly cozy mm-hmm. loneliness sometimes is looking for coziness mm-hmm. and saying i need something to make myself comfortable mm-hmm. aloneness is being willing to be with whatever is and not saying i need it to be a particular way and not saying i need it to be more comfortable or not comfortable mm-hmm. um and then one can engage with others f- not from the point of what do i need to get from you but what can i offer mm-hmm. yeah that it helps just the little reframing i've thought about the difference between solitude which i love and how it slips into loneliness um and uh i think it's it's exactly that it's that practice of embracing my solitude and being alone without necessarily being dependent on something to bolster me and, 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 uh, and i don't i don't want to be too one sided about too absolute about this because we also are human beings right and you know all of these we studies we <laughs> about hugging and the need for that and how we're brought if we're brought up and have an absence of that how it affects us as human beings and mm-hmm. we're we're social beings yeah so so um we have to you know we have to always mix the absolute and the relative you know from the absolute point of view we are completely alone and in right. fact we've even talked about that everything we're experiencing we're only experiencing in our mind we create our our own world they're not really right. there in a certain way we're experiencing our version of the other people right uh, that's from the absolute point of view from the relative point of view it's nice to hang with people it's you know really that's why nice. that's why this is an incredible tool this the 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 um, virtual hangouts are an incredible tool to spend time with people that we would not be you know it it's the next best thing to a hug you know we have our virtual hug and you know right. that that that's all we can do but at least we're engaging with each other and kind of looking at each other through this but whether it's through a camera or the camera in our lenses of our eyes it's still light coming in yeah yeah Well, thank you for being here with me. You're welcome. Again, <laughs> truly my pleasure. Thank you everybody. Have a thank wonderful Thank you Andy. Thank day. you everyone. Stay healthy and safe and we'll dedicate them everybody dedicate the merit on your own. By this merit may we all attain enlightenment.
may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the strong waves of earth, old age, sickness, and death, and the ocean of samsara may free all beings. Thank you. Thank you.